Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. Every year for Earth Day, we check in with writer and photographer Stephen Trimble, author of Bargaining for Eden, The Fight for the Last Open Spaces in America, and many other books. And today on the program, Stephen Trimble does join us, along with Terry Martin, Intermountain West organizer with the Southern Utah Wilderness Alliance, and Jesse Prentice-Dunn, policy director with the Center for Western Priorities. We'll be talking about the 30 by 30 initiative and how Utah fits into this plan. We'll also uh, talk about David Troyer's interesting proposal recently outlined in The Atlantic to give Native American tribes full authority to manage national parks and, of course, many other related topics. You can get your question or comment in to us right now and throughout the hour by email to upraxcess at gmail.com, upraxcess at gmail.com. Uh, we welcome in uh, Stephen Trimble. Thanks for joining us. Well, thanks, Tom. We've been doing this for a number of years now. It's it's always a treat. Yeah, it's a, it's a great tradition. So glad you're on again today for Earth Day. Uh, we also bring on uh, with us Terry Martin, Intermountain West organizer with the Southern Utah Wilderness Alliance. Thanks for joining us. Good morning. Good nice mo- to be here. Good morning. Good to have you with us. And Jesse Prentice-Dunn, Policy Director with the Center for Western Priorities, is with us. Thank you. Good morning. Good to be here. Good morning. Uh, well, uh, let me uh, turn to uh, Terry Martin. Uh, I, I think people generally know what uh, Southern Utah Wilderness Alliance is, but... Uh, Here's your chance to briefly define what what your organization does. So the Southern Utah Wilderness Alliance uh, is a nonprofit advocacy organization that works to defend and protect the extraordinary wildlands uh, in Utah that are managed by the Bureau of Land Management. And this includes uh, the world-renowned Red Rock Canyon country, as well as um, our West Desert Basin and Lane, Basin and Range uh, wildlands. And, uh, and we just, do that through, yes, go ahead. We do that through through advocacy, uh, through the courts, through organizing, through legislation. Um, uh, we work on all fronts, and we're really fueled by our citizen activists, which have made the movement to protect Utah's wildlands possible. Jesse Prentice-Dunn, tell us about Center for Western Priorities. So we're a regional conservation organization based in Denver, Colorado, and we advocate for conservation of public lands and responsible energy practices around the Rocky Mountain West. Very good. Let me stay with you, Jesse Prentice-Dunn. Define briefly for me the 30 by 30 initiative. Sure. So to do that, we kind of have to take a little step back. I mean, right now, the Western United States is feeling the crunch of development and the increasing impacts of climate change. You know, right now we're losing about a football field's worth of natural area every 30 seconds. So that's uh, fragmenting habitat, decreasing wildlife populations, and and also having an impact on communities. So scientists are telling us that uh, to reverse that problem, to deal with it, we need to conserve 30% of America's lands and waters by 2030. And and I'm sure, as we'll discuss, the good news is uh, that goal and getting there has just a wealth of benefits. So uh, that leads me to Stephen Trimble. Uh, uh, I suppose that fits into why you want to discuss 30 by 30 today on Earth Day. Yes, indeed, Tom. You know, this idea is actually supported by the Biden administration, which is miraculous. But it didn't come out of nowhere. If you go back several years to... Edward O. Wilson's book, Half Earth, he came up with this idea of protecting half the Earth. You know, we're starting with 30 by 30, uh, which is a little bit easier to imagine, but we're going to move on to 50 by 50 and and propose saving half of the natural places on Earth by 2050. But I wanted to to go back to E.O. Wilson's book and talk about this idea and what lies underneath it for just a minute, here, here are a few lines from the prologue to that book. You know, Wilson says, unless humanity learns a great deal more about global biodiversity and moves quickly to protect it, we will soon lose most of the species composing life on Earth. Most of the species. He says, I'm convinced that only by setting aside half the planet in reserve or more can we save the living part of the environment and achieve the stabilization required for our own survival. Why one half? 
Why not one quarter or one third? Because large plots, whether they already stand or can be created from corridors connecting smaller plots, harbor many more ecosystems than the species composing them at a sustainable level. You know, it's that idea of corridors connecting the smaller preserves that's so crucial. You know, within half existing calculations from existing ecosystems indicate that more than 80% of the species would be stabilized. And then Wilson goes on and says, it's also important to have a goal. People understand and prefer goals. They need a victory. And he ends with, uh, choose goals that, while difficult, are potentially game-changing and universal in benefit. To strive against odds on behalf of all of life would be humanity at its most noble. Well, that seemed like a, a wonderful theme for us to talk about on this particular Earth Day. That's where we're headed, and we can do it. And believe it or not, we have a president that believes in it. It it does sound ambitious. Um, the, the, I get a lot of moving parts. We'll talk about that as we go along. But uh, what are the uh, what are the parts of this that stand out to you, Stephen Tribble? Well, uh, Terry and Jesse are going to be able to talk a little bit more about actual policy and politics. But it's it's it starts with restoring Bears Ears and Grand Staircase here in Utah. You know, we we had these big preserves, and then we destroyed them, and that was a very misguided thing to do. And I have no doubt that the Biden administration is going to come back and restore the boundaries of those two large national monuments that, that give us a lot of acreage, that move, move us forward in this move toward 30 by 30. But it's, it's going to mean setting aside new national parks and increasing the number of conservation easements on private land. And we're talking oceans, too. It's not just the land of North America. It's the rest of the land that the United States has, um, you know, has the management responsibility for, which includes vast areas of the oceans around North America. So that there's a lot to, to be done. But, you know, you can accomplish an enormous amount by being bold. I, I think back to um, the, you know, and we're also talking globally, too. You know, we'll talk about Utah and the West, but we're talking about the entire Earth with this idea. And I, I think back to 1999 when the biologist Mike Fay did his famous mega transect across Africa. He walked across Africa, ended up in the Congo Basin, and discovered all kinds of populations of animals that no one knew about. And he walked into the office of the president of Gabon and told that president about what he had discovered and the president said, okay, we're going to establish 13 new national parks. And it pretty much happened instantaneously. You know, things like that can indeed happen. I want to turn uh, to uh, Terry Martin with the Southern Utah Wilderness Alliance. Um, and interested to see how this might uh, fit in Utah and the West. Uh, let's talk about America's Red Rock Wilderness Act. First of all, define that for us. What is that? Then I, I understand that uh, Sua um, did some research. Yes, thanks, Tom. Um, before I go there, I want to just respond to what Steve just said, um, because I, I think in many ways what 30 by 30 is about in Utah is really keeping things the way they are. I mean, I, I've always believed that if you went around Utah and you polled folks and said, how would you like your grandchildren 100 years from now or great-grandchildren to find these landscapes that what they tell you is the way I found them? And um, 30 by 30, it may sound like a big and bold goal, and it is, but the fact is it's really, in Utah at least, what it really means is protecting the open, natural, wild spaces we already have that no matter who you are uh, in the state, it, it seems that you enjoy them and appreciate them. So it, it's a way of, of making sure that that's our future, um, both for our own sake and for the sake of other creatures on the planet. So on to America's Red Rock Wilderness Act. Um, America's Red Rock Wilderness Act would um, help significantly to uh, accomplish um, the goal of protecting 30 by 30. Um, it is a, it is a uh, uh, wilderness, it is an act that calls for protecting um, all the 
lands that are managed by the BLM in our state um, that are still wild to have those designated as wilderness, so they will be wild in perpetuity. And um, it it does not affect private lands. It just affects public lands. And um, first and foremost, it would make a big difference on 30 by 30 because it would protect a big chunk of country. And it would actually um, equivalent to 1.5% of the remaining land that needs to be conserved to reach that goal. Um, But equally important is that the passage of and protection of lands in America's Red Rock Wilderness Act would increase what's known as landscape connectivity in the region, and such connectivity is critical to mitigating the extinction and climate crises. And by landscape connectivity, um, what I'm talking about is to connect the isolated national parks, wildlife refuges, and existing wilderness that we already have in the Intermountain West. Um, so that wildlife can move between them. The sad reality now is that our protected areas are really isolated fragments that are not large enough to sustain a healthy diversity of species and habitats. And as a result, what we're seeing is the distribution in numbers of wildlife and plants declining, resulting in loss of biodiversity. And climate change is just going to make the situation worse. So... What the 3030 by campaign recognizes is we need to protect more land, but equally important, we need to protect large landscapes that connect ecosystems and wildlife habitat. And that's what America's Red Rock Wilderness Act would do. It conserves parts of five uh, major wildlife corridors that facilitate wildlife movement uh, between existing ecosystems like Grand Canyon and Yellowstone, or Grand Canyon and the Bitterroot Wilderness up in Montana, or the greater, the Grand Staircase Escalante area uh, over to the southern uh, Rocky Mountains, or the greater Canyonlands area up to Rocky Mountain National Park. Protecting America's Red Rock Wilderness Act would conserve parts of these five key wildlife corridors and thus enhance ecosystem health and wildlife health in this entire region uh, that stretches from Mexico up to Canada. So the the benefits are huge, not just for uh, people in Utah, but for the entire region. Let me turn uh, to uh, uh, Jesse uh, Prentice-Dunn, again with the Center for Western Priorities. Um, I'm looking at uh, a report from the Center for Western Priorities called The Western Road to 30. Uh, tell me about this, how Western states can contrib- contribute to this goal. That's right. So while the 30 by 30 initiative uh, you know, is somewhat of a national goal, there are opportunities at the federal, state, and local levels. And so, you know, Terry just talked about a lot of the opportunities with our national public lands, but we wanted to take a look at what state governments and legislatures could do uh, to advance conservation and, indeed, what they're already doing so that states could learn from one another. So, you know, in Utah, for example, there's a robust uh, system of state parks, which last year saw a record high visitation, more than 10.5 million visitors. I mean, to put that into perspective, that's well more than uh, Utah's national parks saw. We took a look at what um, states could do with their trust land, uh, with looking at wildlife migration corridors, and how they could incentivize uh, private landowners who want to conserve their land, how they could aid in getting conservation easements. So I think the takeaway here is um, all too often I think we focus on the federal government, but states around the West are really doing some innovative things when it comes to um, conserving our natural landscapes. I mean, after all, this, as Terry mentioned, this is what people around the West uh, want, it's kind of our identity. It's very popular. And so uh, this is not, 30 by 30 is not a one-size-fits-all government mandate. It's kind of a canvas for people around the West uh, to contribute and make of it what they will. So that's our, our latest. 
Well, let's take a break. Uh, when we come back, uh, much more. We're talking about the 30 by 30 initiative. This is uh, being uh, implemented or wanting to be implemented by the Biden administration, uh, protecting 30% of U.S. lands and ocean territories by 2030. And we are talking with Stephen Trimble, um, also with um, Terry Martin with the Southern Utah Wilderness Alliance and Jesse Prentice Dunn with the Center for Western Priorities. And we hope with you as well, you can join us by email to upraccess at gmail.com with your question or comment. More following this. UPR is made possible today with a program day sponsorship from the Barry Laughlin family in, Provid- in Providence in honor of Earth Day. This is Science by the Slice. Earth's carbon is stored in plants and animals, the atmosphere, and the soil. And there's more carbon in soil than in plants, animals, and the atmosphere combined. Soil microbial respiration, that is, carbon dioxide release, plays a key role in global carbon cycling, says USU ecologist Bonnie Waring. She's created synthetic soil to study how long carbon remains in the soil and how much of it returns to the atmosphere. Her findings will aid prediction of how climate change affects soil and influences the carbon cycle. This segment of Science by the Slice is brought to you by the USU College of Science, offering degree programs in the sciences and mathematics. Details at usu.edu science. Thanks for listening to Access Utah on Earth Day. We're talking with Stephen Trimble, as we usually do on Earth Day. And we've invited, uh, along with the discussion this year, is uh, Terry Martin with the Southern Utah Wilderness Alliance and Jesse Prentice Dunn with Center for Western Priorities. Our main focus is the 30 by 30 initiative. Biden administration's plan to protect 30% of U.S. lands and ocean territories by 2030. Uh, so, Stephen Tribble, you made reference earlier in the program uh, to uh, what uh, many are hoping and you're encouraging um, the uh, Biden administration to do. In fact, you encourage him to enact that today, which is restoring Bears Ears and Grand Staircase Escalante. Indeed. Yes, Tom. Um, you know, we've talked about that several times on your show. And it just I just find it so tragic that we made progress in setting aside land for all kinds of perfectly important and wonderful reasons, you know, Bears Ears to manage that that land so important to the cultural traditions of southwestern southwestern tribes with those tribes. And a grand staircase really really a science based monument to look at ecology over that large landscape that, that Terry talked about so so well, and paleontological resources along with all those wild lands. Now, there are a lot of reasons to set aside these, these big pieces of land. You know, I, I want to ask the listeners to personalize this, too. Um, you know, these are big ideas and enormously daunting numbers, but if we just think back over our own lives, we can think about what we've lost. You know, I... Uh, I can think back to hiking in the canyons, in the Red Rock Canyons, when I was in my 20s, and being serenaded by the canyon tree frogs. I just had an enormous amount of affection for those, those little amphibians, and they're pretty much gone. You know, I just don't see them. I haven't seen them in years. I hear fewer canyon wrens than I used to. And, you know, the, those personal losses are connected to the numbers. You know, we've lost more than one in four songbirds in America, in North America, in the last 50 years. I love pinion jays, and they're, they, you know, fly around in their sort of squawking flocks, sounding like crows gone wild in the pinion juniper forest. We've lost 84% of pinion jays since 1970. You know, this is, this is a personal loss of animals, and the climate change that we read about is affecting the amount of water we have to water our gardens. Uh, it's an emergency. You know, we can talk about these things in in these big numbers, but it, it really affects every one of our lives. And the same is true with Bears Ears and, and Grand Staircase. You know, those those places, even when we're not visiting them regularly, give us enormous amounts of satisfaction and pride when we think of them. And you know, I'm very, I'm very excited about Biden's commitment to 
to restore them to the boundaries that they that they should have. Jesse Prentice Dunn, the the plan is to protect these lands. We use the word protect, uh, but what does that mean? What does protected land mean under this uh, plan? That's right. So there there are many different ways to kind of define what's protected, but the the broad strokes are um, trying to make sure it's protected against intensive development or fragmentation over the long run. I mean, a lot of people in their minds will jump to things like national parks or wilderness areas, but we've got a lot of tools in the toolbox here. I mean, uh, when it comes to things like BLM lands, uh, we've got national conservation areas and recreation areas. We can look at how we manage large landscapes um, to prioritize things like renewable energy development, where it makes sense, and conserve wildlife habitats where that makes sense. So, uh, there, you know, you can quibble over the definition, but the broad strokes are long-term protection against development and fragmentation. Terry Martin um you you know you protect these lands um is that going to help with the maybe the the biggest potential problem which is carbon in the atmosphere i'm glad you went there tom because i was wanting to talk about that um the 30 by 30 campaign of course emerged to address both the what we call the extinction crisis or the loss of biodiversity but and also the climate crises and um we recently did some research uh, through a uh, independent nonprofit uh, called EcoAdapt, which looks at uh, if you protected the lands in America's Red Rock Wilderness Act, what role would that play in helping to address um, climate change? And the, the, uh, the findings are really interesting. As your listeners probably understand, to address the climate crisis, we must both drastically reduce the emission of carbon and simultaneously remove it from the atmosphere. And EcoAdapt's research shows that protecting lands in America's Red Rock Wilderness Act would make a significant contribution on both fronts. First, it would keep enough carbon fuels in the ground to attain almost 6% of the carbon budget for the Paris Agreement target of uh, having our Earth warm no more than 1.5 degrees centigrade. And that's a significant contribution. And secondly, it would help um, pull carbon out of the atmosphere, which is done by uh, plants and soils. There's a lot of attention to tropical rainforests uh, and the role they play in sequestering and storing carbon, but this research shows that dryland ecosystems like uh, we have here in Utah make a significant difference too. Um, the research showed that if the plants and soils on lands in America's Red Rock Wilderness Act are left undisturbed, the amount of carbon stored in those plants and soils would increase nearly 10% by the end of the century. On the other hand, if you disturb those plants and soils, you would emit you would not only lose that storage capacity, but that carbon would be emitted into the atmosphere. So uh, pr- protecting land also has a direct effect in those ways on mitigating the climate crises. Uh, Stephen Trimble, I'm uh, scanning an article here that you sent. Thank you for that. I'll point to listeners to uh, uh, Yale Climate Connections, YaleClimateConnections.org, and they have an article on the 30 by 30. Uh, another section called Immediate Tools Biden Could Use uh, talks about restoring Grand Staircase uh, Escalante National Monument and Bears Ears National Monument. Uh, the article also points out that President Biden does have the power under the Antiquities Act to, I guess, do something like the President of Gabon did. He could create more national monuments. That's right. You know, in our national park system, National parks can only be created by an act of Congress. Uh, Congress could also create a national monument, but the president, under the powers of the Antiquities Act, has the power to sign a proclamation and create new national monuments, not national parks, on federal lands, obviously not on private lands. So there's no land grab involved. It's simply changing the designation of our public lands owned by everyone. 
And uh, I've, I've actually come to learn recently that that designation itself really means a lot beyond the idea of permanent preservation. For instance, at Grand Staircase, uh, you know, there was just a, a wonderful series of articles about a discovery the paleontologists made of tyrannosaurs hunting in packs, basically, at, a, at an amazing paleontological site. You know, that site happens to be within the, the, the half of Grand Staircase left after Trump eviscerated the monument. But if it had been 100 yards or 200 yards outside of that boundary, the paleontologists would not have had the same access to funding. The designation itself gives scientists added access to funding to do research. You know, there are all kinds of things that follow along from designation. And so that matters greatly. And so expanding those boundaries for all the reasons that Jesse and Terry have been talking about in terms of connectivity and preservation of biodiversity and carbon sinks, there are all these little smaller reasons to make new designations on public lands. And, uh, you know, we, we, we've lost a lot of opportunity already in these four years of leaving out so much land in those preserves. Now, that's, that's an easy one. That's an easy one to get back. Jesse Prentice Dunn, I'd like to talk about uh, conservation. Uh, you know, take, that takes us down to, uh, you know, I guess community, individual level, right? Uh, how does conservation fit in? Absolutely. I mean, it, this goes all the way down to things like city parks and playgrounds and uh, water parks and so forth. One, one thing that's going to be key in this effort uh, is voluntary private land conservation. And, you know, folks around the West have been uh, taking care of land for generations and generations. Many of them have very strong conservation ethics. Um, and one way to help uh, protect their land from being developed in perpetuity are conservation easements. So ensuring that um, private landowners who want to conserve their land uh, are paid for that value or get some sort of tax benefit. So, you know, that's one, um, one way we can really start to uh, move the needle, even outside our public lands. And then, secondly, I'd point to a lot of uh, the, uh, the urban parks and places closer to the big cities. This is where we do have a lot of tools, both at the state and federal level, to help um, fund these communities that want to build parks to make sure people get outside, have the health benefits, and build that love of nature. Um, so... Yes, uh, large landscape conservation, very important. National parks and wilderness, very important. But so, too, are a lot of these local efforts, and they're really tangible. Uh, let me turn to uh, Terry Martin, um, and I'm, I've pulled up uh, the uh, section at the uh, SUA website, Southern Utah Wilderness Alliance. You go to Issues, and you can look at 30 by 30. Um, we talked about the American uh, Red Rock Wilderness Act and uh, and wildlife corridors. Uh, what else would you like to talk about in terms of what can contribute to 30 by 30? Well, there's a, a, a couple of other things that I haven't mentioned, and one of them is that um, protecting lands in America's Red Rock Wilderness Act would protect something called climate refugia. And climate refugia are areas on the landscape uh, that are buffered from the extremes of climate change. And so they are places that allow t at least temporary safe havens for animals and plants uh, to adapt to uh, climate change. And, um, and that adaptation may be uh, a genetic adaptation over time. It may be um, time to enough of the population to stay healthy. Why is it? Why it changes its range? But these areas are really critical um, to to our wildlife and to our plants. And the um, America's Red Rock Wilderness Act contains a substantial amount of these areas, climate refugia. And what we learned in our EcoDAF study is that 70 to 80 percent of such refugia in the uh, Colorado Plateau region and the central basin and rain region is now unprotected. So bringing some of those areas under protection is, is really important. Um, and I guess I just want to return 
to something Steve uh, stressed about how uh, these are big goals uh, that can sound sweeping, but they really come down to our own personal experience of of health and well-being and uh, even joy uh, to be alive on this planet. And uh, I, the question is really what kind of what kind of world do we want to live in in the future and what kind of world do we want our children and grandchildren to inherit and will it include healthy air and water and wildlife and places that we love. And what I I appreciate about 30 by 30 is that it's an umbrella that brings all those concerns together because protecting landscapes, uh, small and big, can serve those those goals. Let's take another break. Uh, When we come back, uh, we'll talk more about 30 by 30. And I want to jump into, uh, here's another suggestion from Stephen Trimble. I thought it's a a great one. Uh, I think uh, listeners will have seen the article in The Atlantic uh, recently uh, from David Troyer, a proposal to give uh, Native American tribes full authority to manage uh, national parks. Uh, very interesting uh, proposal. I want to talk about that as well as we go along. And we're talking with Stephen Trimble, author and photographer. You can find him at stephentrimble.net. We're also talking with Jesse Prentice-Dunn, policy director with Center for Western Priorities. You can find them at westernpriorities.org. And we're talking with Terry Martin, who's with the Southern Utah Wilderness Alliance. You can find them at sua.org. More following this. Support for Utah Public Radio programming comes from our members and utahhumanities.org, improving communities through active engagement with the humanities. On the next On Being, Laylee Long Soldier, searching and tender on apologies in American life. I've often said that I felt like this was a project of constraints. And I wanted as much as possible to avoid this sort of nostalgic portraiture of a Native life, my life. (laughs) I'm Krista Tippett. Join us. Sunday mornings at 11 on UPR. Hello, listeners. I'm Shireen Gorbani, Salt Lake County Councilwoman. Join us for both sides of the aisle. This is a weekly debate over politics, policy, and big issues facing the state of Utah, featuring voices on the right, in the center, and on the left. That's me. Both Sides of the Aisle attempts to help you understand the important questions facing the residents of this state. We prove that you can still put Republicans and Democrats in a small room and have meaningful dialogue. Thursday mornings at 10 a.m. on Utah Public Radio. Thanks for listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. We're talking today on Earth Day about the 30 by 30 initiative. The Biden administration's plan to protect 30% of Utah's land, U.S.'s lands and ocean territories by 2030. We're talking with Terry Martin with Southern Utah Wilderness Alliance, Jesse Prentice-Dunn, policy director with the Center for Western Parties and author and uh, photographer Stephen Trimble. You're welcome to join us at upraxcess at gmail.com, upraxcess at uh, gmail.com. Stephen Trimble, I want to pull back a little bit and talk about 30 by 30 in terms of if you're someone who's concerned about the environment, if you're someone who fully supports 30 by 30, or maybe even, you know, the more ambitious, uh, the the 50%, well, let's stay with 30 by 30. Um, it's, uh, uh, I guess I'm focusing on activism and, uh, maybe the politics of this and, uh, and, uh, how you convince more people to, to make sure you actually get this done. Well, that's our lifelong goal, right? Um, well, on this, on this program, you have two people who work for conservation organizations and you have me who is a independent uh, writer, photographer, slash conservationist, slash activist. So what I have done as a citizen over the years is try to use my own skills as a writer and photographer and donate pictures to conservation organizations for their fight and write op-eds and letters to the editor and, and try to keep the conversation as public as possible. Try to make make sure that people know that these national monuments were were uh, ruined by the previous president and might be restored by the current president to talk about the, the threats of the climate emergency 
and to think about bigger ideas of lots of biodiversity and how, how it relates to each of our individual lives, like Terry was, was discussing. So, and, and supporting the conservation organiza- organizations themselves with, with memberships and um, showing up for rallies and discussions and protests. Um, that's just being a good member of the community and participating. And, you know, we can all do that. We've got to keep the conversation going. We've got to figure out ways to talk to each other. Because I think most people in the West, most people in Utah, treasure our public lands, treasure our wild places, treasure our open space. We just have to figure out how to talk to each other to make decisions as a community moving forward together. And um, that, that that's our job as good citizens, as good community members. Jesse Prentice Dunn. Uh, yes, go ahead. Yeah, this is Jesse. Just to kind of quantify what Stephen's talking about. I mean, you're right. There is broad support around the West for this type of conservation. Um, Colorado College, for more than a decade, has polled people um, in the Mountain West. Uh, they've seen increasing support for conservation. And uh, this year, in 2021, they asked a specific question about um, whether folks support this national goal to conserve 30% of America by 2030. And a full three-quarters, 77% of Westerners said they support it, and 76% of uh, voters in Utah said they support it. So I think this notion that um, conservation and conserving our natural spaces, it's right. Um, We just need to keep talking about it. People support it. Terry Martin, what do you think? Of course, Southern Utah Wilderness Alliance has been involved for many years in advocacy and uh, (laughs) debate and, I guess, attempted collaboration. What would you say? Is is there movement on, on this? What do you think? Well, I would describe 30 by 30 as a movement, and I think uh, what people can do is to educate themselves about it, to educate their friends, and and then to support proposals that move us forward positively um, towards that goal. America's Red Rock Wilderness Act would be a major step. Um, the lands certainly are deserving. They're certainly cherished by people in Utah and around the world for many reasons. Um, and as Jesse's been pointing out, there's a lot of other pieces uh, that are important, too, to move us towards this goal. I like to think of 30 by 30 as a jigsaw puzzle that will take filling in many different pieces. So people, I think it's great to be on your program today and have people learning about what 30 by 30 means uh, and what it could mean to them in their backyard as well as the places uh, that they travel to and enjoy. Well, um, I want to turn the discussion uh, next to uh, to David Troyer's piece. This is uh, pretty provocative, and it's been getting a lot of discussion. I'd like to have some of that discussion here on Access Utah. So starting with Stephen uh, Trimble, uh, the, the headline of the piece in the Atlantic magazine is Return the National Parks to the Tribes. Um, maybe explain a little bit what, uh, what Troyer is proposing. Yeah, I, th- I think it's fascinating that that particular article, that pr- proposal came out at this moment. You know, we're really at an interesting moment in our relationship with Native people in the country. You know, Deb Holland is now the Secretary of the Interior, a Native woman from Laguna Puebla. Uh, Bears Ears grew right out of an idea from five southwestern tribes. You know, we could have easily started this program with a land acknowledgement that here in Utah, we are on the lands of the Goshute and the Shoshone and the Ute and the Paiute and the Navajo. You know, there's a brand new book out from Tory House Press, more or less today, uh, called Standoff by Jacqueline Keeler about Standing Rock and the Bundy movement and the connection of Native people to American history. You know, this, this is all coalescing, and I think David Troyer, who's a fine writer and um, an Ojibwe man, who wrote a wonderful book last last year called The Heartbeat of Wounded Knee, Native America from 1890 to the Present. Uh, he, he, he kind of encapsulates what we can do with this moment and take advantage of our new respect for traditional ecological knowledge from Native nations and Native peoples by suggesting let's just turn the national parks back to the Native people who once lived there, give tribes 
the opportunity to manage the 85 million acres of national park lands. And um, in this piece in the Atlantic, it's very personal. He goes on the road, talks to park rangers and and native leaders. But uh, it, it really is a fascinating idea. You know, the the tribes are very good at managing lands. They've been managing checkerboarded lands, lands that are, you know, part tribal, part private within the boundaries of their reservations for years and years. And they can bring to bear that managerial experience along with this astonishing idea of bringing the native roots of all of that land that goes back, you know, 12,000 years in in North America to park interpretation. Uh, Just imagine, I, I think the tribes could do just as well as the Park Service and management if they were properly funded. And then they would bring this whole inspirational idea of our having done right by one another to give them a chance to to manage what really are our most sacred lands and interpret and educate the rest of us. And I think it's a fascinating idea, uh, probably a difficult one to bring to bear, but really, really cool to discuss. Uh, Jesse Prentice-Dunn, what's your, what's your thought of this very provocative, interesting proposal? Well, I, I agree. It was a fascinating article, and I think it is important to recognize that there have been grave injustices committed across the West, particularly associated with national parks. Um, I, you know, I think uh, now is the time to uh, increase uh, engagement with tribal communities, increase input. I think that's what the Biden administration is doing. Um, you know, when uh, there, as Stephen mentioned, there's really been a groundswell in this effort of late, including Bears Ears. But, you know, uh, last year we saw the transfer of the National Bison Range in Montana um, uh, to the Confederated Salish and Kootenai tribes to manage that, some 18,000 acres of public lands. We've seen efforts around Glacier National Park in the uh, Badger 2 Medicine to increase um, that. And so I think what we're talking about here is not just paying lip service um, to talking with these sovereign tribal nations, but uh, incorporating them at the table in a lot of our public lands and making sure they have a role in the decision making. So, you know, I agree it's a, a provocative idea, but I think um, right now there is uh, an active movement afoot to have more tribal um, uh, input in decision making. Terry Martin, uh, your thoughts on this proposal? Well, I think the articles are really helps to wake us up to changes that need to be made. You know, the, the um, national park system, the act that established the national park system and the Wilderness Act um, were fantastic in that they, they, they reflected, um, in, I think, in many ways for the first time in our country, uh, a view of lands and the life that they engage um, as something more than objects to be um, consumed and exploited largely for the purpose of making profit. And they put in place some designations that allowed us as a country to practice restraint against that view and to say some areas need to be set aside and protected from our sort of ravenous appetite for for devouring um, these so-called resources. But those acts were passed in a time that really missed a huge piece, which is that there were people who had lived and were living and were still using and had cultures that were deeply intertwined with those landscapes. And uh, it overlooked the fact that uh, these tribal cultures also viewed the land not as a resource, but uh, as a relative. that they saw their uh, relationship to the landscape as reciprocal and interactive, which is exactly the kind of wisdom we need to come into um, our Western land management. So I think um, we need to acknowledge the history. Uh, We need to do uh, what we can to uh, address that and to uh, help ensure as Steve and Jesse have said that tribal voices have a seat at the table, that um, that voice counts, and that we see some changes in how we um, do public land management. 
And it's one of the reasons why Bears National Monument was such an exciting and visionary proposal and captured the imaginations of um, all sorts of people because it wasn't just about protecting archaeological sites. It was about protecting a living cultural landscape, and it was about creating a new opportunity where the tribes would have um, co-management in uh, how those lands were managed, how they were interpreted, what stories were told. And, I, you know, I could just envision um, Bluff, Utah becoming a sort of international center of creativity, which brought indigenous worldviews and indigenous stories and perspectives um, into management and also into public education. So um, I, we've got some work to do. We have a lot of opportunities, and it's extremely exciting to have um, Deb Holland as Secretary of Interior because you know she understands this obviously in her feet and her blood, and um, I think has the vision to help make some of these changes. We just have about three minutes left, so uh, just one minute each. I'd like to just go around because it is Earth Day, starting with Stephen Trimble. Um, tell me a favorite place, and 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 what that does for you. Just just thirty seconds to a minute. Oh my! It's so many so many places. Um, well, I think of a particular valley out in the Great Basin, where I spent a lot of time doing research for my book on the Great Basin Desert, uh, sitting with my journal and just listening to silence, and then hearing just a hint of sound, and it turned out to be a herd of wild horses running across this vast, vast territory. And those those aren't even native animals, but what makes me thrilled to be in those places is turning down the dial, slowing down, and listening, using all of my senses what does that sagebrush smell like? What does that wind sound like? How far can I see? What is the name of that mountain range at the horizon? The richness of connection to those places is what being a member of the living community on this planet is all about. Uh, 30 seconds to Jesse prentice Don't Tell me a favorite place. Well, oftentimes my favorite place is the next place I'm going, and uh-huh. uh, I'm incredibly excited to go to uh, Ruby Horse Thief Canyon on the Colorado River, right on the Utah border. Uh, particularly excited to take my two-year-old son and uh, ensure he's got the same love of the outdoors and nature and has the same opportunities that we all have. And uh, Terry Martin, 30 seconds. Uh, tell me a favorite place. So... I'm going to take you to a cliff edge, but not tell you where it is. Okay. And from this cliff edge, <laughs> from this cliff edge, you can see vast distances to far-reaching horizons in all directions. And I have sat there and watched the sunrise and the light fill the landscape, slowly rolling across the mesas and buttes. And I thought both, it makes absolutely no difference that I'm sitting here and then more recently, I thought it makes all the difference in the world that I'm sitting here because this place, like the tribes characterize it, is a relative. And what I do in my life can make a difference in its future. And if I want this place to continue to thrive in the way that it has, then I need to be part of the community of people who act on its behalf. Yeah, well said. Good place to end it. We're out of time. Uh, We've had with us uh, on the program today uh, Terry Martin with the Southern Utah Wilderness Alliance. Thank you so much. Thank you, Tom. Great great year to have Earth Day. Yes, 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 for sure. Uh, Jesse Prentice-Dunn with the Center for Western Priorities. Thank you. Great to be here. And Stephen Trimble, thanks as always for joining us. I was delighted to be here, Tom, on on a day filled with hope. Yeah, yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. And a great Earth Day for 2021. Uh, thanks, everyone, for listening. And we'll go out with what's to become a regular Thursday feature. It's a Skywatcher feature. Skywatcher.
watch our Leo T here. Look up, look around, get a little lost in space. As we take our little spaceship to the skies tonight, let's head to the west. We find Taurus the Bull with sparkling orange-red Aldebaran and a neat little double star in the mix. This is the beautiful, magical April skies containing Orion and blue-white sparkling Sirius. Above the bull's horns and to the left of bright orange Capella is Mars. Zooming in on the surface of Mars, on Monday morning the 19th of April, NASA and JPL mission controllers confirmed at 4.37 a.m. that the tiny Ingenuity helicopter took to the Martian air. In its first test flight, going up three meters and then facing toward the Perseverance rover and then touching back down, a successful takeoff of the first helicopter on another planet. Each successive flight will go a little further. Photo taken by the Perseverance rover of the helicopter's shadow and then of its short flight was sent to the Perseverance rover, received by the Mars orbiter and relayed to listening stations on Earth. Think about all the radio that has to happen to make this work. And the JPL crew celebrated. Stay tuned for more. It's the 60th anniversary of cosmonaut Yuri Gagarin's historic launch into space on April 12, 1961. The daring launch sent the first human into space, paving the way for manned space exploration. Gagarin's historic flight lasted 108 minutes in which he orbited the Earth in the Soviet Union's Vostok spacecraft. And on the anniversary of the flight, the Russian space program sent a Soyuz spacecraft from the Baikonur Cosmodrome to the International Space Station. That was fun to watch on NASA TV at 3 in the morning. And from the New York Times, a tiny particle's wobble could upend the known laws of physics. The particle, known as the muon, which is similar to an electron but heavier, and according to the investigating team of scientists, an integral element of the cosmos, an international team of 200 physicists from seven countries has discovered that muons are forms of matter and energy that are vital to the nature and evolution of the cosmos that are not yet known to science. Wow, all these little guys are bouncing around our universe. On Skywatcher Leo T, it's many cultures, one sky. The sky's everyone's heritage. It's one of the many things that connect us all. There are many birds in the skies during the day and in the constellations. Birds, winged creatures, are powerful symbols in many cultures around the globe. Through flight and song, they symbolize liberation and the link between earthly worlds and the stars. In Hindu cosmology, birds represent higher levels of being. A multitude of birds denotes wisdom and the connection between earthly and spiritual realms. Oh, their songs vibrate through the air and their striking colors amaze us and give us hope. And birds to the skies, let's look at the constellation Corvus the Crow. It's low in the southern sky. Its name means crow or raven in Latin. It's a mysterious collection of stars that in many seafaring cultures look like a sail with the breeze puffing it out. It has a pair of galaxies that are kind of faint looking. You need a big telescope to find them, but they're known as the antenna galaxies. Check out Skywatcher Leo T Facebook for a star map. Look up, look around, get a little lost in space. Skywatcher Leo T. With translator stations statewide, you're listening to UPR. You're listening to Utah Public Radio, statewide service of Utah State University and the College of Humanities and Social Sciences. KUSR Logan, KUSK Vernal, KUSL Richfield, KUST Moab, KCEU Price, KUSU FM Logan, also heard at upr.org.